um, it speaks to me to this idea that we're evolving on social media all up from a one to many to a one to few or even one to one in certain situations. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's Tuck Ross with Jess Jensen, and we're breaking down the major announcements from Facebook's developer conference, F8. Yep. Hey, Tuck. And so for those new listeners, Social Currency is a podcast aimed at the leader or executive who perhaps didn't grow up a digital native like a lot of us, but we want to make social media and digital marketing approachable and easy to understand. So we cover topics like F8 to keep you in the know. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, entrepreneurs and, and other types too, they're just interested in growing their business or understanding a little bit more about digital, right? Yeah. We've got some good feedback from those audiences as well. So no matter where you're at in your digital journey, this is a, uh, you know, we've been finding, you know, some, uh, some interest on all the topics that we're covering. Uh, so go check out earlier episodes. If you haven't, if you're just catching up F8, what's F8 about Jess? What, what is, uh, what's really going on here with F8? So F8 is basically Facebook's annual developer conference. So it's where they often announce a lot of changes to the platform. And some years are more uh, pivotal than others. I'd say this year, uh, based on the announcements, was a pretty important one for Facebook, especially considering the last two years um, of a lot of scrutiny around privacy and data security. I think um, from a PR perspective, Facebook has a bit of an uphill battle right now. So they, uh, they addressed a lot of that in this year's F8. Yeah, it's a good call. It's just sort of like, you know, Apple's big, uh, you know, Worldwide Developers Conference or um, other big marquee events that really call out what they're focused on. Um, I thought one of the good quotes from TechCrunch, though, to your point that this maybe is a bigger one or a little bit different focus than they've done previously is that this F8 was really aspirational for Facebook. So instead of being about what Facebook is and accelerating the growth of, this Facebook was really about what Facebook wants to be in the future. Um, and, and like you and I have talked about uh, previously, it's actually interesting to see this align. So, you know, we pat ourselves on the back, some good credit here for, uh, for predicting <laughs> some of this path where we've seen it, but it's not about the newsfeed. It's not about pages or profiles. Um, it's looking at a much more privatized view of Facebook itself and a much more community focused view about that. So um, where do you want to start? Yeah, well, I'll just I'll just mirror the six principles that uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, outlined when he kicked off F8, and then we can kind of dig into each one just a little bit to kind of tease out what it means and and sort of how to vote, how it oh, might apply cool. to that's our great. businesses. So the six principles he outlined were private interactions, encryption, reduced permanence, which is another way of saying I know one of your favorite words, ephemeral. I like to call moments just because I can't say the word right. Okay. <laughs> um, number four then is safety. Five, interoperability. Interoperability. I have a hard time saying that one. Interoperability. Yeah. Interoperability. Interoperability. There you go. Thank you. See, it's good. It's good that we have each other here. <laughs> Tag team back again. You know, okay. Anyways, go ahead. English. Um, and then lastly, number six was secure data storage. So those are kind of his principles around Facebook. So kind of setting aside the announcements that came out around Instagram and um, Oculus, but those are the principles for Facebook. Yeah, these. They, I mean, these. These sound very techy, right? Um, but I think the overall 
overarching is that when you look at what's happening in each of the platforms, we'll go through some of these, um, they're much more emotional in a lot of ways where they're looking at taking um, the relationships that people have, especially as part of Facebook and Instagram and um, reducing a lot of the flash of the newsfeed and the likes and everything else that's built and been become part of what is an engagement strategy and, and what brands have built into a much more um, community focused environment, which is, I think, super interesting. And by the way, sort of where it grew up so that it feels like they're coming full circle on this, but also um, it feels a little bit closer to maybe where Google Plus was and what some of, you know, uh, I would say some of the more nascent social platforms started with um, that, you know, you are, you're really starting to see come forth now as part of this Facebook redesign. So, yeah, so let's kick it off with the first principle. So private interactions. When I think of private interactions, what I think about is messaging, right? That's the one area, whether you're within WhatsApp or you're within um, Facebook Messenger, where it feels like this is truly private. It's not necessarily um, being captured by a, a, you know, a larger audience. It's it's private, right? So I think they are, um, they announced that they were going to have a, a desktop app, both available for um, Apple and Windows, that is putting messages and video messaging specifically front and center and people seem really excited about that um, so that makes sense that sort of that piece of private interactions would become more prominent and more accessible even off off mobile on desktop sure. and then they also they also talked about groups and we you know tuck you and i have talked about this in past episodes how i feel like for the last couple of years really the way that i've used facebook has been more and more and more toward the group setting people that have like minds or have similar interests. So they seem to talk a lot about putting Facebook groups much more um, prominent front and center. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they, they adopted stories, which took off and both platforms are screaming with stories, massive growth opportunity, especially around vertical video. Um, But as part of that extension and really downplaying the news feed, they are really highlighting groups and events. There's actually going to be a separate prominent groups tab now and a personalized feed from the groups that you've joined. And rather than this generalized update feed from all your friends that, you know, all of us scroll through, it's really going to be much more um, focused around these group interactions. And, um, and those will actually start to show up throughout the rest of Facebook as well. Um, I think it's interesting they're doing a dedicated app. I mean, how long has it taken to get to that point? And I'm laughing because do you remember, what was your first messaging app? Mine was, uh, was it was AOL? Messenger. Yeah, it was like the original I (laughs) am. Yeah. And that was, I mean, it feels like a hundred years ago that was, and it was a dedicated desktop app. They'd sit there and you'd chat in a group and it's like, wow, okay. Super innovative that Facebook is introducing a whole new version called FE5. That is literally what AOL had probably about 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, um, and they, they talked a bit about encryption too, like the, the, when you're video chatting, um, with folks or, or just regular chatting that that's going to have, and that end to end encryption that we are used to with WhatsApp, that's going to translate into, um, the Facebook platform and the messaging platform all up. So again, very much hitting on this notion of, um, privacy, safety, you know, like we got you. Yeah. And I think that's a good call because those are things that we've touched on before is important. I think the message about, you know, Facebook and all the, all the, the travesties they've had and the problems and the governmental, you know, interference that they've, uh, you know, either helped cause or governments now being interested in and how much drama they've caused, um, whether it's fake news or elections or whatnot. I think the really interesting piece about that piece of it is 
for me, that's code for, hey, we're going to be able to enable things like payments and other types of commerce and things that normally need encryption and or more dedicated services like that, um, that Facebook doesn't have today. So, especially as we talk, you know, earlier about them weaving the three platforms together, Facebook, Instagram, and Messenger, and then WhatsApp as well. Um, so four total. And then the fact that they're encrypting across the board and Zuckerberg talking about how they're going to have this seamless transition between those platforms. It really enables this capability that takes it, you know, much closer to what we've talked about previously as WeChat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's, you know, we, we called it out a couple of episodes ago, sort of this connectivity across the back ends of those three platforms. What is that actually going to mean for us? And we're hearing it now kind of come to fruition. Um, uh, and I, and I also just, I also just think this idea of the shift away from the newsfeed and into more of a group or kind of your close circle of friends or let alone private messaging, um, it speaks to me to this idea that we're evolving on social media all up from a one-to-many to a one-to-few or even one-to-one in certain situations. And again, this gets, social media bleeds so quickly into kind of the sociology and the psychology of who we are, right? Because at the end of the day, it's people. It's people just using a digital platform to communicate. And I think that um, Facebook is reacting to some of the legal drama and the political drama, but there are perhaps also recognizing that people enjoy communicating with a small intimate group or even one-to-one over this sort of broadcast mentality. And, and, and so it's nice to see that they're responding to that. Cause I, I mean, personally, I know that I would always prefer to have a deeper conversation with a small group than a more surface conversation with everybody. Yeah, this is good recognition on their part because they're seeing the newsfeed start to decline in terms of engagement. They're seeing the engagement around, especially stories, and they know. I mean, Messenger is growing, right? WeChat or uh, uh, WhatsApp is growing. Obviously, WeChat's growing too. And so, I think there's this recognition that, by the way, all these messaging platforms are growing because people do want to have those one-on-one chats. They've seen Facebook groups growing. You see LinkedIn groups growing. It's not just on Facebook, and so it's a good recognition of of the trend. You know, I think on that side. Let's jump to, you know, your next point um, here that was brought up, which is around this reduced permanence or the moments or the, uh, I'm not going to say it, the E word. Um, Thank you. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, Instagram, Instagram's the fun part of Facebook. Nobody hates Instagram. Everybody, you know, has a a warm, fuzzy feeling about, you know, the non-Facebook Facebook Facebook entity. Um, But some good, some good news coming out of Instagram. And I think some interesting plays. What do you think about these changes that they're making Instagram? Um, it's good. Yeah. I mean, uh, from memory, I believe that they talked about the idea of if you're raising money for a nonprofit, you can do that within a story and collect that money directly, which is great. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't even know that. Yeah, that was kind of neat. And then, um, there, we talked about this in prior episodes, this notion of kind of shopifying or like bringing commerce into Instagram. And they've talked about that now that, um, certain groups, people, influencers, et cetera, will have access. They, they'll be able to do that, um, more, uh, inherent to Instagram versus having to click off. Um, and then, um, you'll have to keep me honest here. I forget if this is Instagram or Facebook, but there is an announcement about being able to create imagery. I think being able to kind of quickly design out images if you weren't quite sure what to use. Yeah, you know, you're right. There's a new create mode in Instagram that um, gets you beyond this sort of traditional photos and videos piece. 
they've seen a lot of good traction with, I don't know if you guys have used that, the little polling thing where it's like a, hey, ask a question and do a, mm-hmm. a two vote poll or, um, or the little slider, right? People love engaging with that stuff. And so they've actually are looking for more ways to do things like quizzes and more of those engagement opportunities, especially in stories, because people do engage with that. And by the way, it gives them something to do besides just watch a video. So, um, so you're right, this new create mode gives them a, a new way to engage, especially within stories, um, in addition to buying products and doing the things that uh, the peeps do on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. So staying on the Instagram tip, obviously this applies to Facebook as well, but number three was this reduced permanence. So again, we've talked about before why we think people gravitate so much to stories. Um, again, just to reiterate, stories go away in 24 hours. So they, they have this, um, this, they sort of give us this um, feeling that we can be less perfect. Um, and so, you know, Zach talked about this, this, this idea of things not necessarily staying with you forever. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on them skewing more toward um, reduced permanence? I love it. I, I think um, from a consumer side, I think it's very natural, right? I think all of us want to have um, that, that part of ourselves that's more authentic that you can just share and know that it's not going to hang out there. Um, we've talked about the concerns of public content and we just talked about personal brand in the last episode and stuff staying out there too long or things that you don't want people to see. Good news, stories format and all these types of things, you could leave up longer. There's ways to do that, but really the intent of it is that it can go away in a very short period of time. And that's not just Facebook and Instagram. It's also Snapchat and a few other places as well. So it's, it's really that, that movement towards the adoption that the consumer has driven of the fact that they want to be authentic. And, um, and I've actually seen this, you know, seen reports about this across the board too, that, that, that influencer visual is also being challenged across the board because Instagram stories has pushed people in this direction of being more authentic and not having the perfect picture with the super hyper color behind the photo that a lot of that um, is starting to get blowback from the Instagram influencers that are using that because a lot of people are like, dude, that's not authentic. And by the way, how many, you know, neon colored walls are going to stand in front of before I'm tired of looking at the same food on the same plate. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and a lot more um, resonance now um, with influencers are just being real. Right. And again, we talked about living your truth in the personal brand episode. I think that's a large play of this is that people are just looking for what is more authentic because they're so tired of the spin that they're getting everywhere else. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. Social media is in some ways following a trajectory that other aspects of our life or genres have. And, you know, I I often will say to um, my older daughter, you know, first you have to learn the rules and then you can break them. Yeah. And I almost feel like, you know, social media has been around for a bit over a decade, maybe 12, 13, 14 years. But the idea that for a period of time, it, it's sort of like we all wanted to be really good at it. We wanted to do the right thing. We wanted to sort of follow the rules. And this is and this has created this sort of perfection culture, this the, exactly what you're talking about from an influencer perspective on Instagram. And it's almost like maybe we're entering this era now where we've had it around long enough. Most of us have been using it for long enough where we, we sort of, we don't buy the perfection anymore because all of us know that's not real life. And so maybe we're, you know, maybe this is ushering in an era that, you know, along with some of the other platforms and what they're doing, 
where we'll be able to be less perfect and show more of the reality. And, and frankly, you know, it's funny, you know, I work with some of our executives, I've mentioned this before in past episodes, and when I kind of get them set up and coach them about content, I'll, you know, I definitely talk about, it's all about photos, it's all about images, videos, like be visual, be visual. But I'll often say, you know, take a shot. And if it's not perfect, actually, that's the best one to share right? Because that's going to actually show you were there. It came from you. It wasn't branded content. So the engagement rate that we see on the stuff they share that's less than corporate, you know what I mean? That's from them actually performs better. And so it just reinforces this idea of people are hungry for uh, something real. Yeah. That's such a good point. Brands are so scared to not have the perfect image up, right? They have to have the perfect image for the, you know, to represent sure. the brand perfectly. I would say 98% of brands are there. There's some that do it and, and, and want to be authentic, but you know, the massive photo shoot thrust that it is such a piece of what they do. And if you go back and especially if you look at what the Gen Z statistics are starting to show, they're tired of it. They want authenticity. They want to know what's behind the scenes. They want to know what's yeah. raw and real. They want a brand to relate on their level and not try hard, just be themselves, right? And because then they can relate to it and understand that the product actually identifies with their value system um, because the values that, you know, you're demonstrating are real values. So um, super yeah. interesting times, right? And I think it leads to the fact of, if you're a brand, how do you engage in this new environment where things are going more private? Facebook hasn't really talked about what types of ad units or how you're going to go on this level. And I can just see, you know, especially from the big agency perspective, maybe these things are going to be available via trade desks and, you know, through the DMP and the rest of that, right? I'm sure they'll figure it out. But again, Facebook's leaning into the user because they want to continue the growth and, then eventually be able to monetize it, but it's not clear exactly how they're going to do that. They're saying they're going to start charging for some messaging, but I think in the interim, while brands are starting to figure out what is available, how do I use this? It goes back to the very real perception that if you're going to be on, on, on any social platform as a brand, at least my perspective is you should be there acting as a person. You can't be there yeah. acting as a brand. You have to be there as a human, whether it's in chat, whether it's in customer service, whether you're presenting your brand. If you're trying to be the big brand, it's clearly not relatable. And especially in these new environments where they're very personal, I mean, it's just awkward, right? Yeah. It just doesn't fit. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I'll speak from experience, you know, having worked for a few large companies, as much as I 100% agree with you, um, I it's, it's hard, you know, when you're within the sort of the broader architecture of, a, you know, a large company where you have, you know, other stakeholders than marketing that have opinions and thoughts and maybe come from different generations. You've got a legal sure. department that might need to bless things before it can go out. Um, you've got brand governance, you know, and, and all those things came up for a good reason. I mean, they're, they're legitimate real things that should be within a company. But when you add all those layers to the content that you create for social channels, which to your point are, we're actually kind of meant to be more personal. Um, it, it, it's challenging, you know? And so those are those people that are listening that maybe are in small to mid-sized businesses, you know, I, I think you actually have an advantage because you may be able to be more nimble and more flexible and perhaps almost build out your, processes or operating models for content and social creation in a more modern way based on how we're behaving in 2019. 
Yeah. All right. Hey, one last touch on Instagram and a note that that was cool. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's totally related, but it is interesting that they're actually doing a test, um, to focus on what does it look like if they reduce the likes or even take away the likes off of a photo so that you don't see it right away. And I think it's a reaction to a couple of things. One is you know, there's actually some negative press about the social pressure, the, you know, the individual's need to feel that like, and you know, the, the psychological effects of that. I think they feel like the platform has maybe gone a little bit too far that direction, especially with influencers. So it looks like they're trying to dial that back in terms of perception. Um, but you know, a lot of us use that as a barometer, right? Like how many likes did something get? How many, how many shares and Mm -hmm. shares are not counted on Instagram, but likes are, I think they're trying to figure out a way to make it more about the content and actually see what the engagement is without someone gauging it based on how many likes it gets. Yeah. And it's so, it's so interesting how everyone just interprets the world differently. Like I can totally understand seeing a post that has thousands of likes and thinking, well, it must be good. So I'll like it too. I can also see the opposite. A post that has thousands of likes and thinking, well, what does it matter if I like it? They're never going to notice. So either way you slice it, removing the, the, the public view of likes, it almost kind of makes, it strips away all the like drama and like the yep. social stuff. And it makes it more about, do you like it or not? Just, just, just say it straightforward and don't sort of get caught up in what everyone else is saying um, and let that affect your decisions. So yeah, I, I think that's actually a fascinating experiment and we'll watch this space to see what happens on Instagram. Yeah, very cool. All right, what's next? Well, so there was, there's three more, but two of the three, I, I kind of want to um, uh, kind of fold in together. So one is safety and one is secure data storage. And, um, you know, to, to me, these both speak to, again, or there, it's, a, it's a clear response to what's been going on since the Cambridge Analytica stuff back in 2016 and all of the issues with the, um, you know, the, the election. Um, you know, this idea of, hey, we're going to make sure that we're storing your data in, in countries that we know we have the ability to own the data and it can't get commandeered by a government or tapped into, you know, by a, um, you know, a, and, uh, a not so good uh, entity. And so we're kind of just giving you our commitment that we're going to do the right thing and make sure that your data is as safe as possible. So to me, this is actually less like, this is less about the platform functionality or what the consumer might feel, or even a business owner would, um, would create content around. It's more just around like the functionality of uh, Facebook and trying to button up their, their act. <laughs> Yeah. And by the way, these two on the list are the ones that literally put me into a nap. Like (laughs) safety, secure data storage. That's either like put in by the legal team or they put those in there for like government PR spin to say, Hey everyone, Facebook's going to be safe again. Don't worry. We won't drop billions of email addresses accidentally into the dark web. Um, These ones are kind of boring, honestly. And it's funny because like I agree that they're important and to your point, these are real things, right? But sort of like no one cares. And if you look at Facebook's most recent results, still growing, still making tons of money, even over and above beating expectations from the street. So um, this is a little bit of a tip of the hat, I think on these, it's nice that they're doing these. Who knows if it's actually real, or if they're actually happen. Um, I do feel like these are a little bit of PR spin, but good to have in the list nonetheless. Yeah, and I think it's it's important to remember too, and we'll link to this in the show notes. There's a good CNET article about this. You know, Facebook is still in um, uh, in a bit of a bind with the FTC. 
And they spoke about this on their earnings call, setting money aside to basically potentially pay off the fee that the fine that FTC will um, impose on them. So um, I think it's three to five billion potentially. So it's not a small nut. So my guess is this has nothing to do with consumers. This has to do with the way they want to package the company when they're in negotiations with the FTC. Yeah, they're like, that's fine. We make that in a day. No big deal. <laughs> Not quite the payout that Apple has to give to Qualcomm, though. So, there's uh, that. hey. hey. <laughs> so, anyways. <laughs> All right. Hey, moving on. Interoperability. So, is this, is this the topic of the platforms working together? Yeah. So, we've kind of covered this. And I know we, you, I think, predicted this early on. Um, sort of, this oh. will be something, right? Drop the podcast mic. I know. Fortune teller. <laughs> Yeah, roll yeah. the magic eight ball. Yeah, I know. We should just like become, um, what's that? Psychics. We should just like have a separate podcast all about just us forecasting the future. Social psychics. Totally. <laughs> I could see it next year. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, this one's funny. You know, it, 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 I haven't, I need to like digest this a little bit and kind of marinate in it. Like I do have some different people that I talk to on WhatsApp. Um versus Instagram versus Facebook. And it's not, it's not been necessarily strategic who I've put where, but it's almost like I tend just personally, I tend to adapt to whatever the communication style is of the person. So if they're more of a WhatsApp person, I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'll, I'll talk to you on WhatsApp. Um, you know, like my, my aunt, you know, still on Facebook, happy to be there. And okay, that's fine. I'll talk to you on Facebook. Um, so I kind of just have slightly different audiences or different communities on each. And the idea that now basically it's all going to kind of come together and you can just talk to anyone from a messaging perspective on any of those three. I don't, I'm trying to figure out if that's going to affect my life or how that would affect me as a marketer. Um, but I, I think we knew this was coming when they, when they announced the, the connection of the backends a couple months ago. Yeah. It's interesting. I think this is a, I feel like the other ones that have come before are, here's the things we're doing to keep people engaged, to keep Facebook relevant, um, keep Instagram interesting. Um, this one really feels like how they're going to monetize it. And it's, it's obviously a technology piece of bringing these, these three platforms, four platforms together. I, I keep forgetting that, you know, messenger's the, the big key player here and probably the big driver, right? Because it has the most functionality that's going to tie all these together when they pulled it out of what Facebook was and Facebook messenger, sort of the same, I guess, uh, in, in that sense. Um, but I think, What's really cool about this is when they do pull them together, to your point, you know, you may be able to cross talk and whatnot, but I think it enables that, that advertising platform, the data graph, all the things that are really important about Facebook's um, targeting and capability on the advertising side starts to come together. And I don't know if we totally know how it's going to look like, but I mean, geez, this is actually, okay, now we have access to one point, what is it? 2 billion daily active users across these four platforms, that is really cool. And I know, at least from a personal experience, like when, when I go in and want to see who's online, Facebook Messenger, it's super easy to see who's online. They got the little green dot, you can message them instantly. You know, WhatsApp, you sort of have to go in and see like, are they online? Are they kind of available? Instagram, it's really mm-hmm. hard to tell if someone's online, if you can tell at all. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, that kind of real time aspect too, when you go back to moments, like if you can see who's online when, that community aspect of bringing everyone together and or, you know, one-on-one or in the groups. And then the fact that Facebook could actually real-time figure out how to get you the right advertising, that's pretty compelling. 
Yeah. Yeah. You brought this up before. I'm sure there is a monetization play that's coming. Um, and it's a little weird because messaging has always felt, whether it's on you know, platforms you're talking about today or it's on Twitter, LinkedIn, any of those, um, Gchat, I mean, messaging's always felt the most private, right? It feels like that's a safe space. And so the idea of an ad popping up in the middle of a conversation with someone else feels pretty intrusive. And I'm just curious, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. So I'm curious if they are going to monetize it other than just charging, like charging for the service. Um, what, you know, what's that look like? What's it look like? You, you gave us some good examples out of that WeChat, you know, conversation we had earlier, like, like maybe it's, it's something that happens locally, right? And you get a pop in your chat that says, hey, do you want to buy this right now, right? I see it as, uh, you know, I think it might just be a different type of engagement. Maybe it's you've engaged with Zillow, right? And then all of a sudden in your chat um, during, you know, daytime hours, there's a real estate that says, hey, you know, this Remax agent's online and wants to talk to you about this house you looked at in your area. I think it's a little bit Mm -hmm. different level where, you know, and maybe 5G helps make this capable. I know we talked about talking about it in a future episode where you've got this real-time aspect of knowing who's available when, knowing what people's intent and how they browse, what they're engaging. And by the way, in a group, a lot of times you have a specific topic or, you know, a broader topic that you're talking about, by the way, sort of like Reddit, which you can identify and say, okay, people are interested in this type of thing. People are doing this, they're online. What can we tell them? And maybe there's a way for you know, a salesperson or somebody to engage them or a store or, you know, purchase something. So I think maybe there's some of that that's in play that could actually enable a completely different model than what we see today. Yeah. Good point. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think maybe it's not so much in the, in the experience of having a one-on-one conversation with a friend and all of a sudden an ad pops up. Maybe it's, you know, you're just walking around with your phone and you just get get a push notification. Basically it's just, it's a messaging notification that says like, Hey, sale going on at, you know, J crew. Um, and that's because you've done something else online that indicated you were interested in that kind of stuff. So it, it, to me, it's marketing funnel, right? It's pushing people in a little bit more of a personal sort of intimate way a bit through that commerce funnel, um, toward actually, you know, making a purchase. So, yeah. Yeah. And I heard Jonas Berger speak this week and, uh, you know, one of the things he was like is, is some of these, some of these cases, it's just that we have so much going on that if it's top of mind, it's tip of tongue. And so some of this is just yeah. like, if someone's in their chat all the time and you're exposed to something like Starbucks is right next to you and you're like, Oh, that actually sounds really good right now. I'm going to go to Starbucks, but you weren't thinking about it until it happened. I think that's where chat come into play because people are so engaged in that environment. Yeah. It's a, it's a great point. So, so kind of wrapping up, we've covered the six principles. Um, Wait, I got that, one more. I got one oh more. Yeah, go. Just because I think it's ridiculous. I'm going to talk about, <laughs> you want to talk about VR for a second? Yeah, you go. You go. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we identified this as not a trend for upcoming. I, I feel like VR, it's like 3D TVs. I'm sorry if you bought a 3D TV. <laughs> it's just not, it's just not going to happen. Right. It's, I feel like VR was like this big buzzy thing and no one could really catch on to it. It's like you put your, you know, your Samsung into the glasses or, you know, Oculus Rift, they got, you know, new Oculus Quest, Oculus Rift. By the way, there's still 400 bucks just for the glasses, not including the whole system. And, um, 
I was actually behind someone at Best Buy a couple months back and they were returning an Oculus system. And I was just listening to the conversation with the, the return service guy because I was next in line. And the guy's like, this thing is just kind of weird. And it, like, you have to have a, all this area to play in and you have to be doing like five things at once. You know, it's either too early or it's just not going to work. And I feel like VR has just been trying really hard to work. Facebook has really been trying to make Oculus work. And, you know, if this was $99, like they just dropped Facebook portal too, because no one's buying it. They would probably get some lift on VR. Some people experimenting with it. They need to hook this up with their gaming initiative. I don't know what it is, but right now, the fact that they even included this in every other major piece of the announcement, and they're like, oh, by the way, Oculus, it's just, it's just awkward. So um, I think as a note for myself, just my personal opinion, VR is still way off the radar. So I don't think that's a trend for 2020. It's not coming up. Um, focus much more on voice and other things we've talked about, but uh, yeah. VR. Yeah. So, I mean, and I have a little bit of a different perspective just because Qualcomm plays in the VR space. So we, we build the chips and the platforms that power a lot of these headsets and the idea of an HMD, a head mounted display, which is this all in one, um, the quest that was announced that that's kind of a game changer. And I, again, I think unless you're in the middle of that space, it might just be like, what, you know, it's the next generation, but the idea of moving from being tethered to a PC and super expensive and you literally can only move a couple feet to you're not, it's not tether. There's no cords. You're, you're just putting it on now. You know, does it look cool? Is it, is it lightweight on your face? You know, uh, you know, is it awkward for, um, for everyone else around you watching, you know, like all those things, there's still a lot of uh, runway to develop VR to be, I think a day-to-day like usable experience. Um, but I feel like it is in its infancy in terms of like, okay, first we have to build the technology. We have to get the technology to be not, you know, battery intensive and to, to work fast, no latency. That's a huge issue with VR is latency, which like literally makes people get sick. All those things are starting to, to tee up. Right. And now we have HMDs. Now we have no, no wires. And so, um, I think it's the beginning of it starting to be more accessible to a mass population because for a really long time, it has been a gamer population, kind of like a, almost a developer um, sort of play space. So I'm still, I, I still am bullish. And I said this before on AR before VR. I think augmented reality is going to have a ton more usage for your everyday person before VR is going to catch up. Yeah, that's where I was going to go. We talked, like we said, we talked about this in the, our uh, our trends for 2019, and, and I think it's a tw- 2021 too. Is that AR is the focus, and I think that's because you know you can use it with your phone. You got a heads up display in your car. Um, you've got the opportunity to provide a lens, right? There's there's buzz that Apple's going to come out with some type of glasses, Google Glass. While it failed, I think you know that's actually taken a good B two B angle. They're using it in a lot of uh, factories. Um, I think there's a really cool angle to that piece of it where you're still attached to the real world, but there's this extra layer that's being provided. Mm-hmm. VR is just, it's a little too far beyond right now. And I think, you know, we'll probably get there for sure, but I don't think it's the next three to five years, big deal thing. Um, unless there's a, a massive leapfrog in technology and how people engage with it. Cool. All right. So let's just wrap up. So we had six principles we talked about that were kind of focused on Facebook. Again, we talked a little bit about VR and the announcements there with Oculus as well as Instagram. Those are both cool, but a bit more um, secondary. I think the big ta-da at F8 this year was, you know, private interactions, 
um, this notion of bringing groups and messaging to the forefront and taking the news feed back, mm. um, in- encryption and all that goes around that sort of sense of safety, secure data storage, you know, feeling like what you're doing is actually going to be private and kept to you. Um, Reduce permanence or this kind of notion of ephemeral um, kind of Instagram stories, Facebook stories, these things that don't live on forever and follow you on the internet that, you know, perhaps someday the idea of the internet never forgets will, will be, you know, uh, something from the past. Um, so that's, that makes tons of sense. Um, and then interoperability, inner, uh, inner, you say it. One more time. Inner operability. Thank you. It's the second Inter- R that I was interoperability. interoperability. So, uh, interoperability that we've talked about a little bit before, which is kind of connecting the back ends of Facebook messenger, Instagram, and, um, WhatsApp. And then to your point, I'm guessing this is paving the way for, uh, more monetization when it comes to that, that messaging, um, function. So pretty big changes. And it sounds like it's going to roll out over the next few months and even a couple of years. It's not going to happen tomorrow. I think we'll see it, you know, sort of trickle out. Um, so I'm, I'm, I have a, I'm cautiously optimistic. I have a renewed interest in Facebook. I think, I think the, the tagline is making social social again, um, <laughs> because it really feels like we're trying to get away from all the bloat that Facebook has become and, and really streamlining it back to, you know, conversation. And that's sort of how everybody wanted to engage in the first place. So, um, maybe this is a recognition of that. And, and, you know, I think there's high hopes that this could bring it back to really where social wants to be, which is just connecting people. Um, and maybe brands can play there too. We'll see. Uh, by the way, PS on this one, F8. I was staring at that the other day. It sort of reads fate. Yeah. Really weird. Do we know what know. the eight stands for? I think it's just fate. And it's just Zuck messing with everyone that Facebook <laughs> is the fate of humanity. It's an engineer trying to be creative. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Everybody's got to have a number and a letter and something, right? So, oh all right. So, hey, if you want uh, more social currency, go to socialcurrencyshow.com. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, including Alexa. Now on YouTube, go check us out. That'll be in the newsletter. If you want to sign up for that, hit the website or... If you want more information and just kind of drop us some tidbits, hit us up on email, info at socialcurrencyshow.com. Of course, you can always find Jess and I on Twitter or LinkedIn or even Instagram at Tuck Ross and at Jessica K. Jensen. Jess, always so good chatting with you. You too, Tuck. Always good. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. Hopefully you found this interesting, helpful, and all the good things. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah. Back next week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.